0: it 's been a tough week it 's been a very tough week it 's been a very heartbreaking week to see everything that 's going on in our country it, it hurts and it cuts to our hearts deeply and so um, I felt it was very appropriate that we um, we pray for our country that we that we lift up our country because it's in a, it's, it's spiraling downwards and things are not looking good and so um, we the church are called to pray for our country. So I want to do that. First Timothy chapter two, verses one through four says, uh, the apostle says, therefore, I I exhort first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our savior who desire all men to be saved and to come to to the knowledge of the truth. We need to be praying for our president. We need to be praying for our political leaders in Washington, D.C. We need to uh, be praying in in the days to come that the the temperature comes down, that comes down and people think level-headed. But we always, 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 always need to look at everything in this world with a biblical worldview. And the bottom line is, God desires, as we just read in the text, He desires that all men be saved and come to know the truth. So, our heart's desire and our prayer request, and and uh, that I want you to be praying for our country and praying for those around us, is that we shine the light of the Lord Jesus Christ to this dark and fallen world, and that all men, the Scripture says it, Second First Timothy chapter two verses one through four, that all men come to a knowledge of the truth. So, again, let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this country that was founded on you, that was founded on biblical principles. And Father, we're we're not in a good place right now. Politically, um, religiously, everything in, in our world is being turned upside down. So, Father, we come to you in the mighty name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we lift up our president to you. We lift up our political leaders to you, Lord. Father, we, we lift up our world to you, Lord. And, Father, we pray that the temperature will come down and that level heads will prevail. And, Father, we um, just lift up our country to you, Lord, and pray for a great awakening. Pray for a revival. We pray for a healing. We pray for repentance, that people turn from their sin and they turn to you, Lord. So, Father, again, our hearts are broken. And I just pray, Father God, in the days to come that you'll encourage us and, and, and put us on our knees in prayer for our country. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. And also, if you don't get our weekly email, if you'll send me an email at uh, david at Ermo. Uh, we will add your email address to our weekly email. And if you're with us this morning and would like to get our weekly email, just uh, put your uh, name and your email address on a bulletin at the back table, and we will um, add your email to our, our weekly email distribution so you can know exactly what's going on at Calvary Chapel Irma. And if you're in need of special prayer, if you're in need of special prayer, you can go to ccirma.com forward slash prayer and submit your prayer request, and we would love to uh, pray for you. So if you would, turn in your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, we're looking at a very fascinating, awesome passage of scripture this morning. We'll actually be uh, looking at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 29, but to give everybody, to get your uh, minds pointed in the right direction, I want to read the uh, first five verses. So Hebrews chapter 12, we'll read verses 18 through 24. It says, For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to to darkness, and to gloom and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet, and to the sound of words, which sounds such that those who heard beg that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. So, what we have in our text this morning in our verse by verse study, uh, we've been going through the book of Hebrews for the past 10 months and we have probably got about two, maybe three more Sundays. But what we're looking at this morning in our text is you have two mountains. You, You have two mountains and these two mountains represent two different ways to approach God. One is Mount, is Mount Sinai, which uh, was where Moses was given the law in Exodus chapter 19. And going to Mount Sinai is like you and I approaching God based on our own merit, based on our own good works, and our futile attempt to keep the law. Then you have Mount Zion we'll also be looking at this morning. And Mount Zion is coming to God on the basis of the Lord Jesus Christ, coming to God on the basis of the sacrifice that Christ made for us. The question I ask you this morning to get you thinking is this, what mountain are you going up? What mountain are you going up? If you define your Christian life by your performance, rules, and regulations, and if you define it on yourself, you may be going up the wrong mountain. You may be going up the wrong mountain. Matter of fact, you're not maybe, you are going up the wrong mountain. Because there's a new and there's a better mountain and that mountain is coming to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so how I'm going to break it down this morning is we're going to look at the first mountain, Mount Sinai. And then we're going to look at the second mountain, which is Mount Zion. And let's make sure when we leave here today that we're going up the right mountain. So let's look at the first mountain. Take a look at in your Bibles at Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 18. He says, for you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and to a blazing fire and to the darkness and gloom and whirlwind. What we have here in this text is this is sinful man in the presence of a holy God. This is sinful man in the presence of a holy God. And he continues in verse 19. He says, and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. Verse 20, for they could not bear the command. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. Now, when you read that text, you have to ask the question, why? Why is there uh, darkness and gloom, verse 18, a blazing fire? Moses says in verse 21, he says, I am full of fear and trembling. If even the animal touches the mountain, it will be struck dead. And it says in verse 19 that they begged that no further word be spoken to them. Why is this doom and gloom? Why is this fear? Well, it comes to one of the foundational truths of the Bible. And that foundational truth is this. God is holy and man is not. And God is unapproachable without a sacrifice because of our sinful, fallen state. Listen to what the apostle says in Romans chapter three, verses 10 through 12. He says, "For for there is none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seek for God. For all have turned aside together and they have become useless. There is none who does good, no, not even one. Man in his unregenerate state does not please God. Why? Because we are sinners. We are fallen. We are corrupted by the fall. You and I, apart from the, the sacrifice of Christ, we are morally and spiritually bankrupt. You see, Mount Sinai in the scriptures represents this, It represents God's holiness. It it represents God's law. Uh, Galatians 3.24 says, the law is a schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. The law, God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, is just simply a mirror that we look at and it says, you are guilty. It chews you up, it condemns you, and then it points you to the gospel. It points you to the good news. Mount Sinai teaches us that God is holy, man is not, it condemns us, it leaves us guilty. And if you go up this mountain, my friend, you will not be saved because we can't trust in our own good works. We can't trust in our own good deeds. The Bible, Paul said it in Romans chapter three, he says, there is none who do good. No, not even one. God is holy. The, uh, the Bible says that you and I make the mistake when we think that God is like one of us and he is not. God is high, he is holy, he is pure, and he is perfect. And that creates a huge problem for us. What is that problem? That problem is that you and I are not pure, perfect, and holy. We need someone to step in and, and, and give us holiness we need someone to step in and represent us before a just and righteous and holy God. The, the, the children of Israel, when they were at the, the, the base of Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, look for yourself, this is New Testament here in Hebrews 12. Moses was full of fear and trembling and they were begging that no further word be spoken to them because they were, they were in the presence of a holy God. This is not the mountain you want to climb. This mountain could be called legalism. Legalism is when you trust in your own good works. You trust in your own deeds to, to, to think that you're in a right relationship with God and you're not because you and I have broken God's moral law. We've broken his commandments but there's one who lived a sinless, perfect life. The Bible says he, 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 was, he, he came into this world. He, he lived a sinless, perfect perfect life and he died on the cross. He lived that perfect life that you and I could not live and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And now that is where the author of Hebrews is going to go in verse 22. So the first mountain, Mount Sinai. It's a picture of God's holiness. It's a picture of God's law and it condemns us. It leaves us guilty and it points us to the higher mountain and that is Mount Zion. Look at verse 22. And look at verse 22, how it starts off. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion. I just want to stop right there. Because remember, the New Testament is written to Christians. If you go back to verse 18, the very opening phrase was, for you have not come. Do you see that? In verse verse 18, for you have not come. Now, when you skip forward to verse 22, the author says, you have come. (laughs) You have come, praise the Lord. You you have come. You, my friend, you have come to Mount Zion when you no longer trust in your own good works or your own good deeds because they're not going to get you nowhere anyway, but you trust in Christ and you trust in Christ alone. Have you come to Mount Zion? Have you come to this place in your life for your salvation, that is, when you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone? When you, when you trust in, in the cross, when you trust that he died on the cross to forgive you of your sins, you've received him into your life, you believe in his resurrection, you've been born again. If you have come to that place of repentance and faith and trusting in Christ, you have come to Mount Zion. If you are still trusting in your own good deeds or your own good works or, or your own performance, then you are still at Mount Sinai and you need to come to Mount Zion, which is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I want to do is I want to pull out of this passage this morning uh, what the text says about Mount Zion and let it encourage us. So let's take a look at it. Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion. And the first aspect he says there, he says, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Guys, this is a... Beautiful, beautiful portion of scripture. This is a holy portion of scripture. And the first thing he points us to in verse 22, he says, you've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. You know, heaven is a real place. It's a real city. Heaven is so real, it's more real than Columbia, South Carolina. It's, it's a real place. Jesus said in John chapter 14, the, uh, on the evening before his, uh, his death, he said to his disciples in the upper room, he said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Here it is. I go to prepare a place. The Greek word for place is topos. It means a place marked off by boundaries. Later on in the book of Acts, Paul is dragged out of Iconium and he's stoned, and he talks about this stoning in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he says, I know a man in Christ, whether in the body or out of the body, I'm not sure, because it happened so quickly. He says, such a one, he says it, Paul says, was caught up to the third heaven. The scripture teaches there are three heavens, that's the atmosphere around the earth, then there's the universe, endless in every direction, but then the Bible talks about a place called heaven. The, Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, the third heaven. And then John the Apostle in, in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 21, he says, And I saw the new Jerusalem, the third heaven, the holy city, coming down out of heaven. So heaven is a real place. I love the movies. I love watching the movies about heaven. But I don't need the movies to convince me that heaven is for real. Because Jesus has already told me it's real in God's word. And this is part of the gospel. This is part of Mount Zion, that there's a heavenly Jerusalem. And then you look at the, verse 22, he continues. And to myriads of angels, to myriads of angels. That word myriads is, is, means innumerable. It means they it, it can't, it, it can't be counted. But the Bible says that up in heaven, that the angels, they surround the throne and they cry out, Holy, Holy, Holy. Is the Lord God Almighty. The text doesn't say it, but I think that the reason John says holy, 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 it's a holy for each member of the Trinity. A holy for the Father, a holy for the Son, a holy for the Spirit. But regardless, the myriad of angels that's being referred to in verse 22 is the angels that surround the throne in an angelic worship, a choir of worship that surround the throne. And notice what they cry out. They're talking about what was. We talked about at Mount Sinai, which is God is holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He continues in verse 23. Let's look at the third item. The first one was there's a heavenly Jerusalem. Second, uh, there's the myriad of angels. And then he says in verse 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. That begs the question, the, the thinking mind question is this who or what is the church well let 's just make it very clearly the church is not a political organization the church is not a religious organization the church is the uh, is the spiritual body of Christ the church is the spiritual body of Christ in the earth the Greek word is Um, I'm I'm pronouncing it wrong, but ecclesia, but it means the the called out ones, the called out ones. You know, a lot of times when we think of church, we say, hey, let's go to church this morning. But we don't go to church, we are the church. Now, we can call it the church if you want to, but biblically speaking, the church, ecclesia, uh, the, the, the word just skipped my mind while I go, I've said it so many times, but we are the ecclesia, we, we are the called out ones. And we don't go to church, we are the church. First Peter uh, 2.9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Folks, when we leave the building, the church has left the building. You know, we, we are the kingdom. The kingdom of God is within us by being born again, by trusting in Christ and we are his representatives in the earth and and the church and the church alone has the answer to the world's problems and is found in this beautiful book right here and this is what we need to be um, showing forth and sharing with people because this truth and this truth alone was what will fix the woes in our world verse 23 he continues he says and to God the judge of all Remember what we talked about back at Mount Sinai? At Mount Sinai, we were told, stay away. Stay away. Because of God's holiness and your sinfulness, you will perish. But here at Mount Zion, through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are invited to the Father's table. We We are invited into the Father's presence. And it says to God, the judge of all. When it says the judge of all, that simply means that God is righteous in all he does. He is pure, he is perfect, he is holy. And now today, through the cross, through Jesus Christ, he invites you and I to come to the table, to come and be a part of this beautiful, magnificent, holy kingdom. Continuing on in verse 23, it says, and to the spirits of the righteous, made perfect. To the spirits of the righteous made perfect. God and God alone is the one who makes people righteous. You and I don't have the ability in and of ourselves to, to, to make ourselves righteous because God is righteous and God is righteous alone. It takes an act on his part, because the Bible teaches there's nothing good within us, as we saw in Romans chapter three, Paul says there's none good, no, not one. So how are we made perfect? What is God's? What is God's mechanism? What is God's way of making um, a sinner acceptable in His eyes? Look at verse 24. Verse 24 answers that question. It says and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. You see, Jesus is the go-between. Jesus is the one that represents us. Imagine for a moment you're standing in a court, a court of law. You're guilty of a heinous crime. You pick the crime in your mind, any crime, doesn't matter, small or big, but you're guilty. And the judge looks at you and says, I'm going to use my own name. David, you got anything to say before I pass sentence? And, and, and the, the jury and, and the lawyers and all, they're there. They see all the pictures and all the evidence of your guilt. And I hang my head and I say to the judge, Your Honor, there's nothing there I can say. I am guilty. And just as the judge is about to pass sentence, just about just as the judge is fixing to pr- pronounce a sentence and send you off to prison for a very long time or pay an, a, a very large fine, at the very moment he's about to pass sentence, someone comes bursting through the courtroom doors and says, "Wait a minute, your honor, I'll pay his fine." And everybody stops, like, "What? what what's going on here?" He goes to the judge. He says, I will pay the fine for David's crime. See, the the, the judge, his number one concern is that justice is made, that the fine is paid, that, 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 um, that the fine has been paid. And because the fine is paid, the judge looks at me and says, David, you are now free to go. Someone has paid your fine. That someone that came bursting into the courtroom and paid my fine is, guess who? Jesus. He stepped into the eternal courtroom of, in, in the presence of God, the Father, and says, I have paid David's fine for his sin by my death on the cross. Jesus presented himself at the cross of Calvary as an atonement, as a payment to pay the price for my sin. And not only for my sin, but yours also. That's what that word in verse 24, where it says, and to Jesus, the mediator, he is the go-between. He is the one that represents us. And now, what does it say? There is a new covenant. In that new covenant, it was made by Calvary. And that new covenant is this, that if you come to God on the basis of, of Christ's sacrifice, if you come to God on on the basis of Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection, you will be forgiven. You will be born again. You will be given a new heart. That is the gospel. That Jesus, according to the scriptures, Paul says, he died for our sin. He continues to drive that point home, looking at verse 24. Halfway through verse 24, look at what he says. After it says, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, he says, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. A sacrifice had to be made to satisfy the wrath and judgment of God. And that's exactly what Jesus did. When Jesus was hanging on the cross and he said, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The theologians believe at that moment, he was taking on the wrath of God, the punishment for our sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, the Father God made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. When you put your trust in Christ Jesus, he takes your filthy garments and he places it on Jesus. He takes Jesus' righteousness, and he places it on you. That's why he died on the cross. And notice it says there, it mentions Abel's blood. It says, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood, if you go back to Genesis and read the account, Abel's blood did what? It cried out for revenge. It cried out for revenge for a payback, but Jesus' blood, it cries out forgiveness. It, it cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus' blood cries out reconciliation. Jesus' blood cries out all, that, that whosoever believes will not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus' Jesus's blood is what gives us the ability to approach God and to be a part of this second mountain, this, this Mount Zion, this kingdom, being a Christian and being a follower of Christ. So there you have it, you have, you have the two mountains. You have Mount Sinai, which is uh, you coming to God on the basis of your own good works, uh, coming to God uh, apart from the, the work of Christ. And, and, and the Bible says back there, It was a a, a place of darkness, it was a place of gloom, there was a whirlwind, a blazing fire, blazing fire talking about the holiness of God. And again, this goes back to God being holy and man being not holy. But when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you become holy. You become holy because what does he do? He gives you the Holy Spirit. Think about the name, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord makes you holy. Not based on your own good works now, but based on... On the work of Christ. This is the gospel. Now I love how um, the author finishes off this chapter. Continuing with that thought, continuing with that thought with the, the Mount Zion being the kingdom, now he goes into a very, very firm warning. Look at it in verse 25. He says, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. You know, the first thing that grabs my heart as, I, as I'm looking at this text in verse 25, he says, See to it. In other words, make sure that you understand what is being said here. And he says there, he says, That you do not refuse him who is speaking, verse 25. What's he, what's he saying here in this verse? Christ is warning this world by his word, through preaching, through teaching of the word, that one, if you approach God by your own good works, your own good deeds, and not by the cross, you will perish. But if you come through the cross, you will be saved. Everybody, everybody has to have this verse memorized. It's, it's, my, everybody knows John 3:16. I think this is the second verse that everybody knows, and that's in John 14:6, where Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to God except by me." Well that's not very nice, somebody might say. Why can't they come to God apart from Christ? Because they are not holy because they are in a sinful fallen state and they will perish a sinner will perish in the presence of a holy God but when you come to Christ when you, when you come to Jesus when you approach the Father on the basis of the sacrifice of Christ he makes you holy and acceptable he is our sacrifice remember we talked about a while ago Hebrews 9.22 says without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin that's what the sacrifice of Christ was for And he continues in verse 26. It's like, um, if you know anything about the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1 through chapter 12 is theological. It's it's, it's theological. It's it's truth. It's doctrine. And then once we get into uh, 13, which will will be next um, Sunday, it, it it gets into application. So he's finishing off this final portion of doctrine of please. Take this to heart. Please listen carefully to, to scripture. And uh, verse 26 and 27, we'll, re- we'll read them both. It says, And his voice shook the earth then, but now he promised, saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things so that these things which cannot be shaken, may be shaken. What's he saying there? Here in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 26 and 27, he's saying this. At Sinai, he shook the earth. He shook the earth. The earth quaked. The Israelites, there at the foot of of the base of Mount Sinai, everything shook in the presence of a holy God. Well the scripture teaches that Christ will one day again, He will shake this world. Listen to Peter in 2 Peter three ten. He says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Family, the truth, and, and I think this is a truth that we need to be reminded of in the midst of what, what was taking place in our world right now, is this, one thing we do know for sure, the world is changing. And, and life is, see, it appears to, that life is changing as we know it. But, but what we have to know, and we have to firmly understand and, come, and, and know in our hearts is this, that even though the world is changing, God does not change. God does not change. We're going to see, probably in about two weeks, or maybe next week when we get to it, uh, Hebrews 13, 8, where it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change. And one day, he will come again. And he's not coming again as a baby in a manger. He's coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Verse 28 Verse twenty-eight. Oh, there's a magnificent truth here. Magnificent truth. Is, we've kind of been going there as we've been studying it, but there's, there's a, something that just just grabbed me in this verse. Verse twenty-eight. He says, "Therefore, since we receive, therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe." There in verse twenty-eight. He uses the phrase, "It cannot be shaken." This is one of the greatest truths in all of the Bible. Every truth, every verse has an awesome truth. If, if you've been around me, and you. And, and it, but but this is the greatest truth in all of the Bible, is that this kingdom will endure. It will never end. It will outlast all kingdoms. Listen to what the psalmist said about the Father, about God, in Psalms 90 verse 2. He says, before the mountains were brought forth, or even you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God dwells outside the realm of time and space. He dwells in a place that we call eternity, okay? And he, his kingdom, and who he is, it will never change. It will never end. He will outlast creation because he is eternal. He's from everlasting to everlasting. That's the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, as we'll see next week, as I mentioned a while ago, Hebrews chapter 13 verse eight says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And guess what? Your, book, your, your Bible, the words written in this book, listen to what Peter said. He said in First 1 Peter 1 All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Family, we have a firm foundation. The world is changing. Our politics is changing. Religion is changing. But the kingdom of God never changes. it's a firm foundation for us to trust and us to build our lives on. And also, you notice there in verse 28, he says that we may offer to God an acceptable service. What is acceptable service? Acceptable service is, number one, believing the gospel. Believing the gospel with all of our hearts Uh, and not only believing it with our mind and our hearts, but then taking our life and surrendering it and it's in submitting it to the authority of scripture and to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to live a life that's holy and pleasing to him. That is an acceptable service. And then he says in verse 29, I, uh, I, I love this verse because I remember third day wrote, had a song came out about this verse, but it says, for our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. We, excuse me, we must see God through the revelation of his word. And what we need to understand when we talk about God is a consuming fire is this, God is holy. God is holy. And there needs to be a reverence. There needs to be a reverence and there needs to be an all in us. And, and, and there is a reverence in our life and there is an awe in our life when we understand both mountains, that God is holy, God is unapproachable without a sacrifice, but then we understand the gospel and that he accepts us by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the consuming fire and the holiness of Sinai, we need to understand. We, we need to understand it, but we also need to understand the consuming love and grace of Jesus Christ. The consuming love that he displayed for us at the cross and the amazing grace that he has given us and shown us. I close with this thought this morning. Which mountain are you going up? Are you going up the mountain of legalism, trusting in yourself, which is no mountain at all? Because we saw from Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 19, that that, that it's, it's a futile attempt to try to keep God's law, to approach Him on your own merit, or you can approach Him on the basis of the sacrifice of Christ. Choose today to serve Christ, to put your faith and trust and confidence in Him, and you, my friend, will be going up Mount Zion and not Mount Sinai. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, um, it's a temptation in our life to trust in our, our own good deeds, our own good works, to say, look at us. But Father, we, we help us t- to not trust in our own good deeds or our own good works, but to trust in you, in you alone, Lord God, in Jesus, your son. So Father, thank you for our study in the book of Hebrews and help us all to make sure we're going up the right mountain. Following you, Christ Jesus, in your holy and awesome and precious name I pray, amen.